coming to you from Silicon Valley. I'm Marcus Edwards, and I'm on the hunt for recruiting leaders, producers, innovators, and pioneers who've made their mark on the industry and can't wait to share their points of view. We'll tackle the tough topics and dig deep to find the answers you're looking for and some actionable advice you can take to the bank. So stick around and stay tuned and welcome to Recruiting Trailblazers. I'm very excited today to welcome my guest to Recruiting Trailblazers. Nicole Thompson-Hirsch is an internal recruiting leader with a specialization in sales who began her career at Aerotech about 15 years ago and via Segment, which was recently bought by Twilio, now works at Lattice as a recruiting manager. So welcome to the podcast, Nicole Thompson-Hirsch. How are you, Nicole? Hi, Marcus. I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, I hope one of these days we'll get to have lunch again uh, together in San Francisco. Uh, not uh, not this week, but hopefully sometime soon. Yeah. So. And full disclosure, we've known each other for a couple of years because I placed you a couple of years ago, right? That's right. Mm-hmm. And and full disclosure, it was your wife who originally reached out to me years yes. and years ago uh, at a time when I wasn't looking to make a move. And uh, you and I maintained a, a great relationship over all those years. And full disclosure, you had an excellent candidate experience, right? <laughs> <laughs> I did. I never would have gotten... Uh, the job. Uh, I never would have gotten the introduction, let alone the job, uh, without a um, without our relationship. Certainly, so. Yeah, it's been a good one. Proud to know you. Um, we've got a few topics to talk about today, but I thought I'd sort of kick off with like a high level observational question, just about the pace of change that's going on right now in our industry. It seems, you know, that so much has happened in the last couple of years that's impacted the way our industry operates, you know, work from home, all the different market forces, adapting to this new normal. What, what are your sort of biggest takeaways or observations from the last couple of years? You know, how things have changed for you and how things have changed in the industry from your perspective? Absolutely. Things have changed at a much, much faster pace than they have. And I think back to when I was first recruiting, um, you know, during the financial crisis and I was recruiting for mortgage companies and how, how painful and how challenging that was and how, uh, uh, and how even in the time that we're in now is, is harder to keep up with, uh, in a lot of ways, because there's not any direct comparison to the dot-com boom or even the financial crisis or anything like that. So, but I think that the biggest thing that's a, that's a positive is candidates and employees, have a lot more power. They have uh, they have greater leverage, and that's a great thing because ever since the job posting boards came out, you know, back in the late '90s, early 2000s, and you created this whole ecosystem of people could apply to as many jobs as they wanted, and resumes would go into a black hole, and then you know, companies had all of the the power. We're we're seeing a really strong reversal in that, and I think that it has the power to, to do great things, really positive things for people as human beings, um, just in terms of looking for jobs, interviewing for jobs, selecting companies, selecting managers, selecting career paths. I think that's a fantastic observation and one that I've actually made myself, this shift of power away from the employer to the employee. What do you think is the driving force behind that? Is it because there's so much demand for great skills out there right now? Or do you think it's because companies have begun to recognize that 
They have to um, adapt to employees' needs from a mission and a culture and, and a vision standpoint in order to keep great employees as well as in order to recruit great employees. I think it's both. And I think it's also employees at companies, hiring managers at companies, people who are part of the interview process. They've now all been in that position themselves. So they have greater, uh, greater empathy. And that's not something that, um, that all people who are in positions of leadership or positions of, um, you know, making hiring decisions have been in before. So I think that with that greater empathy comes, comes change. And yes, people have more, more power right now, but I think that the power, um, it's, it's less about power per se. And it's more about, um, creating more of an equal, equidistant uh, relationship. You think about things like power distance, right? Between someone who's entry level versus someone who is C-suite. And it's almost like that power distance is uh, shrinking. Yeah. It seems like the employee experience is actually getting better and has accelerated since the onset of COVID as well, because people have been scratching their heads and thinking about how to solve, and we're going to talk a little bit about retention later, but how to, to keep great employees, which is just as important as recruiting great employees, you know, how to build better funnels, how to do all the things that we do as professionals, but points very well taken indeed. Um, it's been a very disruptive couple of years, but there's some, as you pointed out, some good things have come from this as well. Yeah. So, yeah. So moving on, one of the first topics we wanted to talk about was kind of recruiter development investment. You know, there's no doubt that in today's economy, the talent acquisition and recruiter function is central to any organization's growth and success. So continued investment in the recruitment function makes a ton of sense. Um, what are some of the ways that companies can actually invest in and develop their recruiters and the TA function as a whole? Absolutely. And recruiting needs to be culture squared uh, in the sense of, Recruiting is has parallels to a lot of roles that are out there. It is not sales. It is not marketing. It has sales functions. It has marketing functions. It has HR functions. It is not any of those things. It's something in between. Uh, and you can have a really bad day in recruiting. You could have a really tough conversation with someone internally, with someone externally. You could make a case for something and not get it. You could have anything going on personally as well. I mean, when you think about everything that's happening in, a, in, the, greater, uh, in the greater world, you need to turn around and get on the phone with someone or get on a Zoom with someone or craft an email to someone. And a lot of that has to fall away to a large extent. And you still need to you know, represent your organization. And to be able to represent that organization, even when nothing is going well or seemingly nothing is maybe plenty of things are going well, but it doesn't seem like everything is going well. You, you need to be able to have that culture uh, of the company and of the team that you're recruiting for the teams that you're recruiting for just really, really deep down. So I think that what companies really uh, can do to be successful in their investment of recruiters is it can't be an afterthought. Recruiting needs to be at the forefront. That's happening. And, and you and I talked, uh, we've talked in the past about, is it time for a chief talent officer? Uh, I, I don't think we're at that time yet. You, you might think it's, uh, it's a little, uh, 
more forthcoming than I do, and that's okay. I think I could argue uh, for it. I think I could sit down toe-to-toe <laughs> -toe with any CEO and say, is there anything more important right now than having somebody who is in charge of your talent strategy? And someone at the C-level, someone who's got a seat at the table, because without talent acquisition, um, growth is just not going to happen. And, and obviously, there's a lot of other factors which we're going to talk about today, including retention. But I think the acquisition of talent in 2021 and now 2022 has never been as top of mind as it is in the C-suite. Wouldn't you agree with that? It's very much top of mind uh, in the C-suite. And I think that there needs to be this great interplay of the people who are on the recruiting team, the people who are sourcing and coordinating, the people who are interviewing, the people who are doing all of that brilliant work in recruiting operations, the recruiting leaders. There needs to be interplay with those people on the recruiting team and everyone else in the organization. And you need to create this business acumen. And people who are in recruiting need to work with their counterparts in HR, like performance management. People need to work with their compensation partners and with their finance partners and you know all of these other IT partners and cultivate this overall business acumen. And investing in recruiters and encouraging these behaviors, it leads to recruiters who understand their business better, um, their own craft better. It leads to greater cross-recruiting. It uh, leads to greater team engagement and, uh, and overlap. Um, all of those things need to be encouraged by recruiting leaders. They need to be encouraged by business leaders. They need to be encouraged by the C-suite uh, and invested in and made time for. And that means not saddling your recruiters. You know, of course, you're going to have spikes in time and people need to handle, you know, 20 plus racks. But that also means thinking really carefully and being very thoughtful about what recruiters' workloads look like and being realistic and it's this whole go slow to go fast mentality. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's so much more than just hiring more recruiters, isn't it? Which seems to be what everybody's doing right now. It's just, well, let's just hire more recruiters and get more bums on seats. But I think the point that you're making about the complexity of the job, it's, it's incredible because it touches so many other areas of a business. And whilst it's seemingly, you know, its own vertical now where it's all about getting bums on seats, it really isn't its own vertical to, to a certain extent because it is part and parcel of the function of the entire business to, to understand and to be able to impart the way in which a business operates, you know, across all the different functions that exist in, in order to attract and, to, and to, to bring, you know, the kind of quality candidates in that you need to bring. So I think great recruiters really need to understand their business across all the functions, right? Absolutely. I feel like I waffled a little bit there. I think that was a bit waffly. <laughs> we'll leave that in anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, there is an unprecedented demand for recruiters right now. And I don't know whether that means the bar is going to get lowered or whether there's going to be more investment in the development of recruiters, but let's hope it's the latter. Let's hope that people really focus now on, on developing the people that they've got into fantastic recruiters and opening more doors for recruiters to sort of climb the ladder. You've, you mentioned sort of, you know, cross-functional recruiting there. Do you, do you have feelings on specialist recruiters versus cross-functional recruiters? I have very strong feelings that mm -hmm. recruiters should have the opportunity to specialize in an area, yet shouldn't only ever be focused on one specific area. 
some cross-pollination, you know, seeds greater understanding. So greater understanding of the business, how the different business units interact with each other, how career paths can grow and evolve and change. No person's career path, well, maybe some people's career path, very, very rarely do people's career paths resemble just uh, an up ladder or an up into the right staircase. So the more that recruiters can understand and understand through talking with people and gaining empathy for people and understanding what paths that companies have had as well, the stronger that they will be in helping to grow their organization and the stronger that they will um, help their their teammates to be as well, right? You identify a candidate when you're sourcing. This is just kind of the tale as old as time. You identify a candidate when you're out there sourcing and maybe this person has you know, a, a number of skills or a number of different experiences that would lend themselves really well to your organization or even to a company where you worked previously or maybe to a company where your your good friend or your former, uh, your former colleague or your former classmate worked. I mean, that's that, uh, that's that always be recruiting mentality. And if you're only ever focused on one thing, that's, you're not going to be quite as effective in that. No, I, th- I think that's a very good point indeed. Um, so a little bit of both, really, some specialization and with a view to cross-functional recruiting when it, when it needs to be and to be able to contribute to your team's overall effort. Um, let's get into the weeds here for a second. What are some of the skills that you feel as a recruiter are at a premium in today's market, you know, throughout the recruiting lifecycle? I'm thinking like sourcing, outreach, first conversations. Well, maybe there's some others as well that I'm not thinking about, but what do you think are those special skills that recruiters really need and need to focus on developing right now? I think creativity, business acumen, and are, are, are huge. And, and I also think that resilience, just generally speaking, resilience and adaptability. So when I think about creativity and business acumen, I think about some really brilliant recruiters and, and sourcers who I worked with, especially most recently, who... Uh, came up with ideas to source candidates for a role that we had been recruiting for two straight years. And that gets a little tedious and a little tiring. And you think that you've looked under every stone and then, you know, you keep brainstorming and keep brainstorming. And they, they came up with really just fun things to do, to go look under and find different things in, in LinkedIn uh, and find different ways of reaching out to people on LinkedIn that were unconventional and, and didn't feel spammy or like that same templated message that that you've gotten you know three other times that week or day can can you (laughs) be specific at all about that i mean that's just a question that needs to be asked what kind of unconventional approaches are you referring to i'll give you the two that stand out to me as the most they're very specific but um one thing that one person did was look for the most uh commonly uh commonly used baby names of a certain decade, uh, going back a little while, uh, a little bit of a ways, and using that as one of their search terms to effectively change up the LinkedIn search algorithm to have other uh, these names come up to come up to the top. Um, so that was one, and that ended up getting us an entire slate of candidates. One particular, uh, one particular. Wow, I'm struggling we, getting my head around that found. one. Can you remember <laughs> one of the names? Oh my gosh, I can't. I think we. No. Uh, I think we potentially used one 
uh, no, we used two decades actually, but it was a, it was a very creative strategy and we used female names as well. Um, and names obviously change and, you know, popularity. It strikes me that's a slightly random approach, but could yield some unexpectedly good results. Yeah. It is a random approach. And it, and it, the reality is it did, if it's not something that you've done before and you've been sourcing for the same job for over a year, then you're probably going to get some slightly different results in that case. So, and then the yeah. other thing from an outreach perspective, I had uh, another really excellent recruiter who's on my team who used location customized um, messaging outreach, specifically in the subject line and then kind of followed it up. So depending on where the person was located, some, uh, something that that particular area was known for, you know, like the state flower or the state bee or something that was just a little bit different to strike up conversation yielded her absolutely excellent, much higher than industry average response rates. And it was custom to that specific person. Uh, and then she would pull something else in and the, the response rates that she got were just absolutely excellent. And it made her memorable. It was different. It was something that she um, took great joy in and made it fun. Okay. So she was <clears throat> segmenting people based on location and making personalized sort of location specific remarks that would make that person feel like it was a personal message. Yes, because it was a personal message in those cases. And that's quality over quantity there too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think of personalization and it's something that we talk about a lot on the podcast um, in two sort of verticals. I think of segmentation where you know, you're speaking to a specific segment. And so therefore, you know, you might be reaching out to 50 people um, in Austin. And so you might make some mention of South by Southwest just to sort of prove that you know that they live in Austin or something like that. And it just makes the whole thing a bit more personal. But then there's real personalization, which is where you say, and, and the example that I use is that I recently reached out to somebody who I noticed was on their college basketball team. And I said, hey, I'm not sure whether this position is going to be a slam dunk for you. Um, but, you know, hopefully we can shoot a three-pointer together or something like that. And the individual got back to me and said, you know, thanks a lot for reading my profile so carefully. And that requires individual personalization. And is that something that you guys do as well? Absolutely. Yeah. Of course. And the thing is, not everyone has their entire life story on LinkedIn, and that's okay. And sometimes it's a matter of taking some educated guesses and, and looking for ways to, to reach people um, creatively through a couple of other breadcrumbs of, uh, of other places where they've worked or other places where you can pick up that they've lived and so on. But absolutely, it, it needs to be personalized to the person. I mean, the, the level of outreach that candidates in this market are getting is, is unprecedented. And because of that, if you don't personalize, it's highly unlikely that um, you're going to have results. Yeah. I mean, it's an ongoing argument on this podcast that I've had with lots of people because there is a quantity approach argument. Um, again, if, especially if you can do some segmentation, which does yield results. Um, I personally am a big fan of saying something specifically to ensure that the person I'm reaching out to knows that I'm only speaking to them and it couldn't possibly be meant for anybody else. And that I feel is an approach where if I take my 20 outreaches versus somebody who's just sending a hundred templates, um, I'm going to have a good shot at beating them with my response rates. Um, but that's just me. And I think it's impossible to paint with too broad a brush because 
you have to get out to a lot of people these days. So you've got to figure out how and what works for you as a, as a recruiter. Um, exactly. I mean, moving through, you, you talked a bit about sourcing and we talked a little bit there, you know, about outreach. What about first conversations? I'm a big fan of the concept that the first conversation that you have with a potential candidate, whether you're recruiting them right now or whether you're pipelining them for tomorrow, um, which you should always have an eye to anyway, um, is the most critical part of the recruitment process. How do you feel about that? And, and what are your thoughts and philosophies around that first conversation? What do you think people should be looking to achieve? I think you're absolutely right that the first conversation is critical. It's establishing the relationship. It's getting to know the person. I don't think it's the most important thing. I think the most important thing is the ongoing follow-up. And I think that the ongoing follow-up doesn't need to always be a 30-minute phone call. I don't even think it needs to be a phone call at all in some cases. This is where having just those quick messages, if it's over text or WhatsApp, or if it's over LinkedIn, that's okay. As important as that first conversation is for establishing the tone of the relationship, what really sets things apart is that ongoing, like, yes, I'm here. Yes, you're here. Yes, we're we're having conversations about these things. And I think about, for example, our relationship, and that's what's set it apart. I think about the relationship that I've had with anyone who I've personally recruited, and that's been the, the differentiator. It's the people who stayed in touch with me um, who I really, really remember. I remember those much more and they're so much more impactful than, um, you know, just that, that one initial call. Cause if it's just one initial call and it doesn't go anywhere, then it could have been great, but that was the end of it. Yeah. I think you make a good argument for that. I think fortune is indeed in the follow-up as they say. Um, and I think where I'm coming from is the fact that that first conversation offers you multiple opportunities to really impact that individual with the kind of recruiter that you are. And, and whilst there's a lot of transactional recruiters out there who just haven't got the time of, in the day to build these relationships from the ground up, um, I, I've always chosen to go down the path of trying to understand what motivates that individual before I ever try and sell them or influence them on any position that I might be looking to fill. And that has always served me quite well. And it's the way I've, I've trained a lot of recruiters around this mindset as well. Um, and I think once you get to the point, we used to call it, you know, taking the requirement out of the first call. So really, you don't make the position the object of the call. You make the understanding of the candidate's career trajectory, needs, wants, desires, etc., the object of the call. And then if it makes sense, you can reconcile the position that you're looking to fill at the end of that. But the good thing about that, without boring you, is that if they're not interested or qualify for that position, you've made a friend in the industry and you can go back to that person and you can get referrals off that person and you can help that person again in the future because you've established credibility, right? You've established credibility. Yes, definitely. I still yeah. think it's in the follow-up though. People's okay. desires change. People's life circumstances change. People's... Um, you know, preferences to change, right? All of those types of things. And it's that, uh, it, it's, I think you can't have one without the other. Right. So you're absolutely right. You can't. So we're both right. Should we agree we're on both that? Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty uh, good one. Dear. Hey, so my favorite topic, culture. Okay. Company culture. Let's talk about culture. 
and the importance of culture in the recruiting landscape. You know, I've always said on this podcast that culture is the biggest mover of people. I should trademark that because it's mine. Um, talk to me a little bit about culture through the lens of a recruiter, you know, both as an employee and as a tool to engage candidates and, and drive growth in, in the company. And this comes around to retention as well, which I know we're going to talk more about. But thinking about the, I'll go back to what I said at the beginning of recruiters need to be not just embodying culture, recruiters need to be culture squared. And that's always how I've hired recruiters. It's how I've onboarded recruiters. It's how I've uh, mentored and, and attempted to lead recruiters as well is, you know, people, people have a lot of choices right now. And even if your company culture is excellent, right. And then it's, you know, we're, we're past the, some of the more cliche type things of the ping pong tables and so on and culture being more around engagement and opportunity to do your best work. But, uh, recruiters are going to have that level of understanding of what the culture of the company is and should also know what might not work for people, right? And as they as they have that first call as like you were talking about and hopefully those follow-up calls after they've, you know, the person has interviewed maybe with a couple of other people, the recruiter should also be working to understand is this the right match for this this particular candidate? Is this going to give this person the opportunity to do their best work? Is it going to give them the opportunity to grow? Is this just, or is this just a, you know, a level up uh, opportunity? Not to say that that's necessarily a bad thing. Um, but from a culture perspective, recruiters are the ones who should be able to, to see that and navigate that and actually be looking two steps ahead, not just looking at what's immediately in front of them. And that's a bit of a luxury, I will admit. Mm. But it's something that's an important consideration as well when we're thinking about how do we engage employees for the long run as opposed to some of this great reshuffle that we're seeing right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a bit harder to showcase culture these days, isn't it? Because so much of what we do is done over Zoom and, and culture is, is something that, you know, as you mentioned previously, used to be a lot about sort of like ping pong tables and yoga rooms and stuff like that. And now as you said very eloquently, it's a lot more about, you know, opportunity and, um, you know, the way in which people treat each other and um, engagement, I think you said as well. It, it's a little more esoteric and it's probably a lot more real as well, the culture of an organization. For me, culture has always been, I've tried to describe culture in many different ways. And I think the best way that I've managed to describe it is culture is how you feel about your job your team and your opportunity when you wake up in the morning. And if you feel positive and ready to bounce out of bed and get straight after it, then you're in a great place. If, if you wake up and you feel like you're serving a voluntary prison sentence, it may, it may be time to move on. Indeed. Absolutely. Not to put too fine a point on it. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of that has to do with, uh, you know, with not just the company's culture, you could have an amazing company culture and you might not be in the right job for you. You might not have, a manager who is particularly well suited to you. So all of those things play into it. And that might not even mean yeah. that, that person's not a good manager. Maybe they're not in the right job. That's a yeah. possibility as well. So yeah. this also comes to culture is absolutely a mover of people. And but what is culture? And you can have values, but if the people aren't living the values, and culture is also a living, breathing thing, and the culture needs to evolve, 
culture of a 20-person company is different from that of a 150-person company is different than that of a 500-person company. You might have the same values written on your website, but the way that the employees live that it is it needs to evolve and uh, and change to yeah. accommodate a lot of different viewpoints and life experiences and to help that company continue to grow if that's the company's goal. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think somebody smart said, it wasn't me, somebody said, people don't leave companies, people leave people. So therefore, people are culture. People are culture. Yeah. So I did want to talk about retention for a minute as well. I mean, the main job of a recruiter is obviously to bring talent in the front door. But at the other end of the sustainable growth equation, we've got retention. Well, where does retention feature in a recruiter's playbook? And, you know, should it potentially feature more heavily when they're recruiting? Absolutely. This is, this is not talked about enough. And this goes back to what I was saying about the, the interplay of people who work in recruiting. And I'm saying people who work in recruiting as opposed to, you know, just recruiters, right? This is coordinators, this is sourcers, this is recruiters, this is recruiting leaders. That interplay of people who work in recruiting with their HR counterparts, so their HR business partners, their um, their hiring leaders, it's not just about hiring the person to fill the job today. It's about understanding what that candidate's career path has been. What does that person want to do? What is the level of alignment with that person's career path and the trajectory of the company? Because just the same way that people keep changing, companies change as well. And a very, very smart person who I worked for for a long time, and she's my most wonderful mentor, uh, always talked to me about, Nicole, you cannot be thinking about where the company is today or tomorrow. You need to be thinking about and setting up resources and so on and setting up processes for where the company is going to be in six to 12 months from now. Because by the time you put this thing, this resource, this process Whatever it is in place, it's going to be six to 12 months from now. So are you going to be behind again after you went through all of this effort? So it's thinking about where is the, the company going to be. So retention is absolutely the backstop. Just like you said, I think that's a perfect word for it and a great visual analogy too. Recruiters should be thinking about that and looking to make matches based on that long-term opportunity for, for employees and that's not really a metric that's that's you know strongly considered in the industry today. It's time to fill. It's yeah. pipeline, funnel metrics, conversion rates of from one stage to the next. But retention is not one that's strongly enough considered, in my opinion. Yeah, and it is very very important indeed. And I think that goes back to what we were saying earlier about recruiters really understanding the different functions of the business. You mentioned like an HRBP you know, who basically helps align, you know, business strategy with people strategy is my understanding. And I think if you understand, you know, what's on an HRBP's plate and how they're driving that strategy, that people strategy through the business, then you've got a more profound understanding of the business as a whole and your ability to be able to recruit people accordingly, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Exactly right. What, where do you think on the subject of retention, just to wrap this part of the conversation up, where do you think biggest opportunities are for companies to focus on improving retention of employees? Sort of a non-recruiting question this, but how can companies do a better job of engaging and retaining their employees? Yeah, I think engaging and retaining employees is, is setting expectations and 
writing it down. Uh, that's one of the, the, the Twilio values that, uh, that really stuck with me and one that I've, I've never seen as a company value before and I thought was very, very smart. One of the values is legitimately just write it down. And I, I think writing down those expectations for employees and following through on that, creating transparency is a massive tool that managers have for engaging their employees. And I think that the HR leaders and overall business leaders have to engage their employees. And by having that written down and creating transparency and showing people how they can get to the next thing. It's not about promoting people every six months. It's not about promoting people every year. It's about giving people the opportunity to work on the kinds of things that they want to work on. It's giving them the opportunity to have life outside of work as well. Even if you love your work, which I think a lot of people in our business do. Um, it's also about having that, you know, that rejuvenation time. So that very simple act of writing things down, following up on it, if it's doesn't have to be every single week in one-on-ones. Even if it's having those kind of in-between, those quarterly or biannual performance conversations, it's still having those even in an informal way with employees so they have an opportunity to say what's on their mind and think about it and uh, process however it is that they best process. I'm a, I'm a verbal processor. I need to talk to people a couple of times before I organize my thoughts. Thank goodness for um, you know my boss and my husband for that. But then there's other people who do really well by writing things down. That's what helps them to uh, to process. Yeah. So cr- understanding how your employees work at the manager to employee level and then uh, creating that space is simple, It's but it's incredibly powerful. Yeah, I think you're right. I think the key word is engagement. I think if you engage your employees because you understand your employees, what drives them, what they want, you know, what's meaningful to them – and you give them that type of work, and most importantly, you recognize them for the work that they do, then you are getting on the right side of retention. So yeah, I appreciate where you're coming from there. Um, the other topic that I just wanted to touch on here, and we talked about previously, is internal communication. You know, um, a recruiter's ability to be able, you know, to partner effectively with internal stakeholders, you know, plays a huge part in their ability to deliver. Um, what, what does that relationship look like today to you and, and how far away are great recruiters from just being order takers? Well, communication is, is really similar to what we were talking about with all of these other pieces. And this is about engagement. And when you, you talked about when we, when we kicked off about if you take good care of your recruiters, they'll take good care of your company culture and they'll take good care of candidates on their way in. This is the same idea. You take good care of your recruiters if they feel engaged as so they have career opportunities and you're paying them and um, you know giving them all of that same access to opportunity, they're going to be motivated and driven to be a part of moving the business forward. And part of moving the business forward is having that strong communication. And some of that strong communication can be really simple things like meetings and Slack channels, which, or uh, Teams channels, depending on what your, uh, what type of tech that your organization uses. And for business leaders to include their recruiting partners and their HR partners, for that matter, for those business leaders to include those, um, their partners, can be finance partners as well, in their regular meetings, 
in the decisions, even if it's not something that someone in recruiting necessarily should have an opinion on, but has the opportunity to understand how the decision was made uh, by being a fly on the wall or being in that Teams channel or in that Slack channel, that's going to go a really long way. The recruiter should feel just as much a part of their business unit team as they should a part of the recruiting and the HR team. And I've actually, in in past lives, I've had recruiting um, managers and recruiters relocate entirely to different offices in different states to be in the same physical office as the teams that they supported. So it it goes a really, really long way um, from a communication standpoint to to have recruiters to be a part of that ecosystem of the business yeah. unit. But do you think that we're past now the idea that recruiters are just order takers because I think there was a world where that was the case. And again, that's painting with a very broad brush. But, um, you know, these days it feels to me like recruiters get to shape this, the interview experience and the candidate experience through their internal stakeholders and influence that process a lot more than they ever did before. Is that something that you sort of agree with or stand for? Absolutely. I agree with it. I stand for it. I don't think that we're completely past the era of order taking. I think that there are still some situations and I think that there are still some people who are out there who still don't see the strategic value of recruiting and of talent acquisition and still see the, you know, just go fill this rec for me or just go fill this, these hundred recs for me. And, and that's a shame. And I don't think that that is long for this world um, because I don't think that they're going to win the, uh, this great battle that we're in for the best talent and the, the highest levels of engagement. So I absolutely stand for that. That's critical. Excellent. And I did have, um, recently on the podcast, I interviewed Heike Hiss, who's the global head of executive recruiting for Box. And she, she said this one sentence to me that's just stuck with me, which is, we obsess as much over our candidate experience as we do over our customer experience. We want every candidate, whether they get offered a job here or not, to go out and tell everybody how great we are as a company. And I think that's a great standard to to hold oneself to, don't you? Absolutely. Yeah. My um, my manager of seven years at one of my prior companies to you always said that. That was her. That was her rally cry to us. You know, I. I always want us to hire the best. And if we hire them or if we don't hire them, you know, because we decided that they weren't going to have their best opportunity to succeed or because they decided on a, a different path, we want to leave them with such a great experience that they go and they tell all of their colleagues and all of their friends how well they were treated and how respectfully they were treated and what a great interview experience that they had. Because that's, we can't afford anything less for our brand. Yeah, that's how you build an excellent employer brand. Hey, last question, Nicole. Can't believe time has just disappeared. We're having so much fun. Quite recently, I posted on LinkedIn about hiring managers delivering a short pitch to candidates separate from the interview in order to tee up the candidate for success and get excited about, you know, the opportunity and the culture of the organization. And this post got 30,000 views and hundreds of interactions. A lot of people, it resonated with a lot of people. How important is it? How important is it, do you think, for internal stakeholders and recruiters to start thinking outside the box when it comes to engaging candidates in this market. What do you think people need to do here to differentiate? I love when we're on the same page about something. Right when you put that post out is when I've had some hiring managers do some pretty creative things. And 
Hiring managers, I love when they say to me, and I've had a couple of executives on uh, my current company, Lattice, talk about this and said to me, Nicole, <clears throat> hiring people is our job and you're our partners and you're here to help, which I love. And then I say back to them, that's great because I think that it's my job to do that. So <laughs> this is the best kind of tension that we can possibly have if we both think that this very important thing is our job, is that it's going to get uh, double the, the care uh, and love that it needs. So that said, it is so easy to take a short video on all of these different platforms that we have. You can use Loom, you can use Google, you can use Zoom, you can do it on your phone. You can just take a short video on, uh, uh, on your cell phone. And for hiring managers to say, hi, I am this person, this is my title, this is the job that I'm hiring for, this is why I'm excited about the job. And for recruiters and for hiring leaders to be able to go and send that out it could even be the executive of the department. It doesn't even have to be the hiring manager. I think either one is equally powerful, truly. That gives a candidate the opportunity to understand more. It has things jump off the page so much more than job descriptions that I personally obsess over, but it jumps off the page so much more than a job description. It jumps off the page in a way that is more three-dimensional than anything else could possibly be because it gives candidate insight into not just what it's like to work at the company, but what it's like to work on that team for that person. And, and which is the really important thing. (laughs) That's the really important thing. And that's something that can take a hiring manager less than five minutes of their time. They can do it out on a walk with their dog or their kids or anything else like that. And it will still be impactful. It doesn't need to be high production value. So that's my call to action. Um, and then you can I, post I don't it on mind TikTok. If more people start doing that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> post it on TikTok and Instagram and obviously your website. Um, I love that idea. I think that's a brilliant idea and it's a huge differentiator. So that's pretty much all we've got time for today, Nicole. Is there is there anything you just want to leave us with here? I was thinking about introducing a book question. I know you mentioned a book to me that you read recently called Radical Candor. Do you just want to leave us with some thoughts about that? I might start asking every guest on the podcast now, you know, what's the best book they've read recently? I would love if you started asking guests that because it will let me add to my Goodreads list, my professional Goodreads list. Yeah. Um, Radical Candor is a book that I read a couple of years ago and reread recently. And it's a book that in 2018, I think I got for every single one of my direct reports uh, on a recommendation from, um, from my leader at the time. And Radical L. Candor, written by Kim Scott, she, uh, she previously worked for Sheryl Sandberg, she worked at Apple, and it's a very simple idea. And the simple idea is actually right on the cover of the book, and um, the idea is to not lose your humanity, and that you need to be kind and direct. If you are only direct and you don't care about the person, then you're kind of a jerk. If you are only kind and you are not direct to people who you work with, then that is ruinous empathy. But to be both is to be radically candid. And that's where you have the opportunity to, to really not just help other people, but hopefully help yourself a little bit as well. And uh, it's a pretty quick read. I highly recommend. There's probably someone who's in your network who has the book who can lend it to you. So um, Fantastic. Definitely well, let me be both kind and direct. Thank you very much for coming along to Recruiting Trailblazers today and uh, giving us such a great experience. Um, but that's all we've got time for. Thank you so much, Nicole Thompson-Hirsch. Me and you will obviously keep in close contact as we always have. 
and um, wishing you all the best for 2022. Thanks so much for having me, Marcus. Okay, cheers. Cheers. 